I'm a guy and I know why these guys do this. The bottom line is this, lady. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Calm down a bit here, Kelly. If it's a legitimate rape. I'll let you finish, but Beyonce had one of the best videos of all. You've probably seen some of these cringeworthy moments before. They span from politics to pop culture, but they have one thing in common. A wildly overconfident man interrupting, shushing, and holding forth on a topic that he might not be the most qualified spokesman for. This phenomenon has become known as mansplaining. It's the word that's launched a thousand think pieces, including a few that are clearly over it. But we wondered, what does the science have to say about it? Back in 1984, a study observed that female doctors were more than twice as likely to be interrupted by patients than their male counterparts. A 2004 study found that men at Harvard Law were more than 50% more likely to comment in class and 144% more likely to speak up more than twice. And it happens in the workplace. A 2012 study found that when tasked with a group decision by majority vote, women spoke less than 75% as much as men. The media is not much better. A 2012 study found that men write 80% of traditional opinion pieces and 67% of them online. And the data shows that while there are fewer men than women on Twitter, men are retweeted more than twice as often. What the science shows is that mansplaining isn't an overused word flaming the gender wars. It's a cultural reference point that illustrates how women are more likely to be interrupted, less likely to speak, and are continuously robbed of the benefit of the doubt. It explains a nagging, sinking uncertainty that millions of smart, capable women feel all too frequently. And we can definitely use some more words for that. Maybe we have a little bit of a patriarchy problem still. <laughs> Maybe just a little. Maybe a lot. Go back even further, 50s, 60s. This was a Budweiser ad, and I don't know why they did the print so small. She found she married two men. In fact, all women do. There's always that inner man, you know. Think of all the planning that goes into meals to make him contented. When you plan, are you fair to yourself? Do you compliment your delicious dishes by serving the best beer ever brewed? It's a fact. Budweiser has delighted more husbands than any other brew ever known. If your husband ever finds out you're not store testing for fresher coffee, if he discovers you're still taking chances on getting flat steel coffee, woe be unto you. <laughs> For today, there's a sure and certain way to test for freshness before you buy. The picture of the husband with the woman over his lap. Another ad by a postage meter company. Is it always illegal to kill a woman? What comes to mind when you think of the, the term a woman's place? Silent. Silent. In the background. Homemaker. Huh? Homemaker. Homemaker? In the kitchen. In the kitchen. This is a clip from Leave It to Beaver. Might be a little quiet. Yeah, that's funny. What's funny? Well, whenever we cook inside, Mom always does the cooking. But whenever we cook outside, you always do it. How come? Well, it's sort of traditional, I guess. Uh, you know, they say a woman's place is in the home, and uh, I suppose as long as she's in the home, she might as well be in the kitchen. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I think we have a patriarchy problem. Have you ever heard of the rule of thumb? 
The phrase is a reference to an old law that permitted men to beat their wives with a stick as long as it was no thicker than a thumb. That was the rule of thumb. Um, one landmark study in 2012 um, alongside Princeton University found that science faculty at research universities rate applicants with male names as more competent, more hireable, and more deserving of a higher starting salary than female applicants, even when the resume, resumes were identical. I think we have a patriarchy problem. Think of the language that we use every day, policeman, fireman, postman, mankind. We tend to prioritize men over women. The Baptist world, um, we had kind of what was called, it's like a Christian Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, RAs and GAs. RAs were the boys. RAs stood for Royal Ambassadors. GAs stood for Girls Auxiliary. (laughs) We tend to value men more than women in our society. RAs and GAs are still active today. A 2005 UNICEF Worldwide uh, report found that women ages 15 to 44 are more likely to be injured or die from male violence than from cancer, malaria, traffic accidents, and war combined. Every nine seconds, a woman in the U.S. is assaulted or beaten. A third of women will experience abuse by a man in their lifetime. One third of women. When you add in the complexities of identity for women of color, for trans people, for women who are gay, the atrocities, the violence, the abuse, uh, it's even compounded further. We have a few years ago was the Me Too movement where it kind of came to the surface all of these women sharing their everyday experiences of abuse. And it was, um, in my opinion, a very good positive thing for uh, the world, for our country, um, to become aware of what harm and abuse we have caused women. Um, and coming from male perspective, we are usually blind to, even though we are often the cause of it. Um, We have a patriarchy problem in our world. We have a patriarchy problem in the church. Last year, it came out that Southern Baptist Convention had been hiding a lot of cases of sexual abuse in their church. They hid from the authorities, and they hid from their churches. John Piper is an evangelical leader, pastor, author. I've read his books growing up and heard him speak at conferences throughout my life, and he was asked a question on video uh, from a woman who asked what she should do about her husband, who is abusive. And this is what John Piper said. He said to endure verbal abuse for a season, or even endure getting smacked one night, and then seek help from the church. Do you see anything missing in that statement? What about contacting the authorities? 
I've heard from too many women who said that they did not get a divorce because their pastor told them it was wrong to get a divorce even though their spouse was uh, verbally, emotionally, and sometimes even physically abusive. We have a patriarchy problem in the church. Last year, speaker and author Beth Moore gave a sermon at a church on Mother's Day. And she is part of the Southern Baptist world. And it just kind of exploded the Southern Baptist Convention because um, they hold that women should not be in pastoral leadership roles in the church. John MacArthur uh, pastors a church in L.A., one of the top 100 largest churches in the country. I think they have around 10,000 in attendance every week. And he was asked, what do you think about Beth Morse giving a sermon in church? And he said, Go home. There's no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher, period. Paragraph, end of discussion. Go back further, 500 years. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. He said, the word and works of God is quite clear that women were made either to be wives or prostitutes. Go back further, St. Clement of Alexandria in the second century, where women, the very consciousness of their own nature, must evoke feelings of shame. There was a Jewish prayer during the first century um, that was very common for Jews, Jewish men to pray every day. And part of that prayer said, thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. Where does this idea come from? Partly, it uh, comes from the Bible. Honestly, um, the Bible was written thousands of years ago in a very patriarchal world, a world that was even more patriarchal um, than ours today. In some areas of the world, it's really not any different than how it was 3,000 years ago. Um, in the ancient Near East, in the area where the scriptures were written, men were the heads of the family, they were heads of politics, they were the heads of religion. Um, genealogies throughout history were written um, by men and included usually only the names of men. Women usually were not included in genealogies, which is interesting that Matthew's genealogy of Jesus includes a lot of women. That was kind of radical for him to do. Property was owned and passed down through the male Families lived in the man's home. Exodus 20. I'm having some clicker problems, Kevin. You might need to help me out. Oh. Exodus 20:17. Women are property. Exodus 21 says that daughters can be bought and sold. Deuteronomy says a bride who is not a virgin should be stoned to death. Leviticus, a woman is twice as unclean after giving birth to a girl as to a boy. First Timothy, women should keep quiet and be submissive. And this is just a fraction of the verses in the Bible that talk about patriarchy and views of women compared to men. And then there's a story of um, Genesis, Adam and Eve cartoon. I got a bad feeling about these apples as there's a dead pig on a platter with an apple in its mouth. This story has led to a lot of the views of women throughout history. It's what led to uh, St. Clement of Alexandria saying that the women must feel shame just for being a woman. 
partly came from the story of Adam and Eve. They were told not to eat the fruit. Eve ate the fruit and sinned, leading to what they call the fall of humankind. And, and the reason that bad things happen in the world is because Eve sinned and ate the fruit. So throughout history, this story has been used to legitimate the, uh, legitimize the subordination of women. And the story is that, or the story that's been told is that Eve was so weak to give in to that temptation by the serpent. And that Eve, gosh, imagine there would not be any problems in the world, in our lives, if Eve, the woman, had not eaten the fruit. That is what I was taught growing up. Imagine how that shapes your view of women. Imagine how women feel who are told that the very reason there is any problem in the world is because of women. (laughs) One argument was that Eve gave in to the temptation, ate the fruit, and then went out to find Adam and try to convince him to fall into temptation and eat the fruit. It's like uh, Eve was the, the witch from Snow White who had to convince Adam to eat this fruit as if Eve was evil herself. Genesis 3, 6 in the story says this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. (laughs) Adam was there the whole time. Adam didn't say a word. This line, who was with her, has been edited out of a lot of translations of the Bible throughout history. Guess who translates the Bible throughout history? It's not women, typically. Martin Luther, when he did his German translation from the Latin, the Greek, and Hebrew, he left out those words. In uh, the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, they left out those words. Ah, it's humiliating for Adam to have been there the whole time and just not say a word. We'll just leave that out of the story. Another thing to note is that Adam's name, Adam in Hebrew, means humankind. Eve's name in Hebrew means life. That for most of Christian and Jewish history, oh, until the Protestant Reformation, really, this story has been understood as allegorical or metaphorical. It wasn't until Martin Luther came out with sola scriptura, scripture alone, a literal translation of the Bible is the only translation and interpretation. When Martin Luther came out with that, we kind of see a little change in how we see these stories, that they have to be literal. There has to be an actual Adam and Eve. There has to be a woman who ate an apple, and that is why there is anything wrong in the world. It hasn't always been like that with that interpretation. So the man in this story was with Eve the whole time. One argument used to justify the role of men above women is that the man was made first in the story. But in Genesis 1, God created humankind in his image. 
In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In Genesis 1, God creates male and female at the same time. In Genesis 2, it tells the creation story again. And it says that God made humankind. But throughout history, that's been translated as man. But the Hebrew says humankind. And scholars in the 20th century recognized that that Hebrew word really does not have a gender or sex attached to it. So that the story in Hebrew says that God formed this humankind out of the ground. And then it's not until several verses later that we see the words for male and female. Ish, man, and ish, shah, woman. God made this human form that was either without sexuality and gender or containing both. The Hebrew doesn't differentiate between male or female. And it's not until later that God makes the woman, do we have male and female? There was no man came first in the Hebrew. And that argument has been used to subordinate women. It goes God, and then he made man, and then he made woman. That's not what the Hebrew says. Actually, the story says God made animals, (laughs) and then men, and then women. So if we're going to go with the hierarchy, are animals more important? It's not logical. Genesis 2.18 said, Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is another argument that's been used to subordinate women in the Christian world. That word in Hebrew has been translated as helper. And the word for helper is ezer. And throughout the Bible, that word is used other places. In Psalm 10, it says the helper of the, father, of the fatherless, referring to God. God is the helper. In Psalm 70, King David's strong defender and deliverer is the helper. In Deuteronomy, Israel's shield and helper. It's the same word. We've been taught that Eve is the helper of the man, meaning the servant. There to serve and help the man. But the word in Hebrew and how it's used in other places, helper is this military protector that when you are on the battlefield and you are on the verge of being killed, you need an easer, a helper to come rescue you and save you. The Hebrew image for what Eve is to Adam is literally the strong protector of the man. Not a servant who is lesser than the man. In this Adam and Eve story, the Hebrew understanding, Eve is more like Wonder Woman who has to save Steve, who's the character, the male character in the story. It's not a helpless servant. In the story, there is very much, even in this patriarchal ancient world, very much of this... um, more equality between men and women in this story. Is it possible that it's interesting that we've translated Ezer as helper? Uh, some translations add in partner as a, a way to help um, correct some of that thinking, that mistranslation. Is it possible that we've got a little bit of gender bias in our translations of the Bible? Is the Bible sexist? 
Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's, it's not a big surprise because it was written in a world that was incredibly patriarchal. Incredibly patriarchal. But within those stories, we also find voices and stories of women who subvert the patriarchy. We find stories of women who change the course of history because they pushed against patriarchal culture. Um, the very reason that Jesus had a ministry on earth was because women who financially supported him. The reason the church spread in the first century was because of women. <laughs> Today, we say, or some Christians say that women should not speak in church and they need to stay silent. In the early church, we have women who were leaders and teachers. We need to listen and hear some of those stories within the scriptures. This past week was Ash Wednesday. And it was the start of Lent. Lent is not the stuff in your belly button in this case. It is a period of Christian um, time. And it's 40 days leading up to Easter. And throughout history, Christians have honored this time as a period of repentance. Um, I hear the word repent. And you think forgiveness of sins. You think um, that I am living in sin and that repent means I need to uh, change my sin and ask for forgiveness. The literal Greek met metanoia uh, literally means to change your mind. So repent and believe means to change how you're thinking. So I suggest with this series that we have a lot of thinking that we need to change around how we see women in our society, in our culture, in our churches. We need to repent, change our thinking. That we need to recognize some of the bias that we may have toward women, both within the church and within our personal lives and how we see the world. As a religion, we need to repent of the harm and the abuse caused by these patriarchal views and acknowledge that many of these views come from our interpretations of the Bible. I need to repent. Uh, I have been guilty of the objectification of women. I need to repent. I have been in situations with people where I in conversation, Kylie is right next to me and I did not even introduce her. I need to repent. 
And there have been moments and times where I have interrupted her, talked over her. I need to repent. But there are in me views of women ingrained from our culture, from our society, from our religion, that are sexist, that are sinful, is wrong. I need to repent. Within the Bible, there are stories of a trajectory toward equality of men and women. That God is against the oppression of women. That Christ is in the business of turning power upside down. And God used women throughout history to do that. Even Paul wrote, he wrote some incredibly sexist things. And we're going to talk about some of those and why that is. He also wrote this, which is interesting. Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Even within his patriarchal society and culture, he realized that in Christ, through Christ, we cannot have all of these divisions between groups. We cannot have this racism and xenophobia and sexism. This is not God's intended way of the world. And that we have an active role in changing that because of what Christ did. And we still have a lot to do to change that. We have a lot to repent of. for all of the uh, abuse and trauma that the church has inflicted on women in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. That is not the uh, reflection of the person of Jesus. That is not a reflection of who God is. And that is sin. Sin is not gambling and drinking. (laughs) Sin is devaluing another human being. We've done too much of it. Too much. And we've used the Bible to justify that. So let's stop. It's going to take a while to get there, and part of it is through this series, naming how we got here and naming uh, some of the stories of women who uh, pushed back against that patriarchy, and we're finding our voice and our story within theirs. When Jesus broke bread and uh, 
drank wine with his followers. He was teaching them a new way to be in the world. Jesus, within a world of patriarchy and sexism, violence toward women, he honored them and he welcomed them and he ate meals with them. He was friends with them, close, close friends. He called his followers to do the same. That's part of the reason that Jesus was killed is the people that he welcomed and loved. The religious people didn't like it. He knew that his death was coming and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat, remember me. Remember my way of living. And he poured out the wine. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the new covenant, the new way of being, the new way of living in the world. Every time you drink, remember me. Kylie, would you help me serve? So every week we take the bread, the body, the juice, and the blood of Jesus. And we may need to repent. Sometimes communion throughout history has been seen as an opportunity to recognize the ways that we live in the world that are not like Jesus. And to remember that uh, this following Jesus stuff is a process. It's not a one-time thing and then we're perfect Jesus followers. It's a process of living and dying to old ways of thinking and having new ways of thinking. And through each of those processes and every change and every mistake, God is right there saying, Let's, we got this, we'll do a little better next time. And Paul said, nothing at all can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And nothing we do can separate us from that love. So as you come to the front and receive the body, love of Christ and you feel the bread in your mouth and going down in your stomach may you feel the presence and the love of God in your heart and in your life and allow God to work through you and in you oh, to smash the patriarchy honestly to value those who have been devalued to honor those who God honors we invite you to the front to receive communion.
closing prayer is going to be a video. Let's take a look at this. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. My hair. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aw. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. Amen. <laughs> rewrite the rules. That's what Jesus did. He rewrote the rules. We got a lot of rules to rewrite. So let's do that together. We'll see you next time.